0: hi everyone welcome to the koinonia church message library our hope is that today's message encourages you challenges you and brings you closer to jesus we are confident that god's word is living and active and is relevant for us today thanks for joining us enjoy the message morning everybody good morning hello come on in find your spot again this is so awesome I just—I mean, I say it every week, but it's so good to hear just the sound of people talking about stuff. Isn't it awesome? I just—I'm an extrovert. I love it. I can fall asleep to that sound. It's so good. Well, I want to welcome you. My name is Nick, and I serve on our pastoral team here at Koinonia as the youth pastor. And I'm excited to share from God's Word this morning. Believe it or not, we are still in this series about Joseph. I'm serious. We're still. We're. It's. I'm serious about this series. And today, uh, we are going to be looking at Genesis chapter 38. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just let you know that what we're about to read in the Bible has the potential to make you quite uncomfortable. Okay, so I'm just going to put that before us. And I, w- I was sharing with somebody before, they're like, hey, you're, you're preaching on some, some uncomfortable things today. How do you feel? And I was like, well... In one sense, it's a bit intimidating, but in another sense, it's like, this is just what we do every week, is we, we, we take God's word, we, we open it, and then we, we teach about it. And we say, okay, God, how are you unfolding your redemptive story through what we're reading? And today's story just happens to be a bit weird. Um, but we're still going to talk about it. So before we, before we get into it, let's pray and invite... God's Spirit to teach us and transform us through the, tr- the truth of His Word. All right, so let's, let's pray together. Father, we welcome Your presence with us, and we invite You to shape us, to transform us, to conform us to the image of Your Son through this passage that we are about to read. Would You reveal Your timeless and transforming truth to us as we humble ourselves before You and before Your Word. Amen. 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 All right, well, let's begin by just rehearsing. We've been talking about God's redemptive story, and uh, this is the the story. Through this series, we've been coming back to the, the three lenses that we always see the world through. First is God's overall redemptive story. From the beginning of time to end of time, this is God's plan, and this story needs to be our first lens that we see everything through. The story of God's redemptive plan for for all of humanity needs to be your primary lens that you then see your world through. It also needs to be the primary lens that we read his word through. Because today's story is a great example that if we don't have God's greater story, this lens, set up for us while we read Genesis 38, then it's just going to be like, what on earth is this here for? And so God's greater story puts into context his, his scripture. It helps us understand how he is unfolding his gospel to us. And so we have God's greater story. Then we have the scriptures. And then we have our story. And we can only see our story clearly with God's greater story and his scripture as the lenses that we then see our story through. Are you with me? We've been been talking about this and we're going to continue to because it is so key for how we see what God's doing in us and what he's doing in our world. And a key point today that I want all of us to, to remember and hold on to is that God chooses to partner with us, humans, to accomplish his plan. This story only happens... Because God chose to partner with Abraham. And then God chose to partner with Isaac. And then God chose to partner with Jacob. And God chose to partner with all of his sons. And in fact, God has chosen to partner with all of you. So that we can show and share the love of Jesus wherever we we find ourselves. And so God chooses to partner with us even when we are unfaithful partners with him. And this is what Genesis 38 is going, to, is going to show us today. So let me give you some context and then we're going to read through the whole chapter and then work through it just section by section to see like, okay, what on earth is this story doing in the Bible and why is it important for me? So this is, this is the plan for the day, okay? So open with me if you have your Bible. So you'll notice that chapter 37 ends with Joseph being sold to Potiphar to work in his house. And then you'll notice that the beginning of chapter 39 starts with Joseph working in Potiphar's house. And our story is just kind of plunked in like an interruption to what's going on with Joseph. And it becomes like, well, what, what is the Did somebody just put this in the, wrong, in the wrong place? Did they put the glue on it and just stick it in and it was like, ah, now we can't take it out? No. This story is placed here on purpose, when we, when we read the beginning of Joseph's story, the story doesn't say, this is the account of Joseph. It says, this is the account of Jacob and all of his sons. And Judah is one of Jacob's sons. I believe he's the fourth oldest. So Judah, who's the, kind of the main character in, in this story that we're about to read, is one of Joseph's older brothers. And this story takes place between the time that Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery... And then the time that, he, uh, that his family reunited with him in Egypt. And so what we're about to read is, is Judah and, and his sons and, and what on earth was going on with them. Um, and, and this takes place while Joseph is a slave in Egypt. So all this is going on before his family comes back together uh, and, and is, is saved through Joseph's um, faithfulness and actions. So this is, this is, this is Judah. And we're about to read about his son. So let's just get into it and follow along with me. If you've got a a digital Bible, I'm reading in the ESV if you want to read the same translation. Okay, are you ready? Okay, just hear the yeses roll in very slowly. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hirah. There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her, he went into her, he conceived and bore a son. And he called the son Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she bore another son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for his firstborn, and he named her Tamar. Or, sorry, and her name was Tamar. But Er. Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up an offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. What he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord put him to death also. Just want to make sure no one is leaving. Okay, we're... okay. keep coming with me. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shiloh grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, and he, uh, he and his friend Hira the Adullamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil. Wrapping herself up, she sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shilah was grown up and had not been given to her. she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, He thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, I will give you a young goat from the flock. She said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. And he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her, and he went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Edulamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he could not find her. He asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Enaim at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent you this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man whom these things belong, I am pregnant. Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Okay. So, this is a super strange story. And I promise you that in light of this story, Genesis chapter 38 has significance for you and for me. So let's just look at it section by section and see what is going on here. So in the first section, we read about Judah and and his three sons, Er, Onan, and Shelah. God kills Judah's oldest son because he's wicked. That's the only information that we have here. The next son in verse eight, um, it, his name is Onan, and so this is this is where the story tar- starts to. Like, we we don't have categories for this here in Canada. Um, in 2023. And so Judah, the father, says to his second son, son, you need to perform the duty of a brother-in-law for your, your dead brother's wife to raise up an offspring for him. Now, let let me give you some, some context to like why this is even a thing. So in this in this time period, in Judah's day, this was actually a common and right practice for families who were who had been called by God and commissioned to grow in new generations. Preserving the line of the family was one of the most important things. Something else that we need to note is that in this time period, the women in these families, their primary responsibility was to raise up offspring. And without the protection of a male household family member, they they were helpless. Whether we like that or not, it was the reality that Tamar was facing. When she was growing up in her father's house, it was the men in her father's house that provided provision and protection. And then when she got married to Ur, er, she then was, was, comes under Judah's family, and the men of his house provided provision and protection. When a woman's husband would die... The expectation was that her oldest son would take on that responsibility of providing provision and protection. So part of Judah's obligation as a brother-in-law was to actually care for Tamar in this way. To provide an offspring so that one day when, her, when Judah was, was gone, she would have a, a male to protect her and to provide for her. This was part of the reality of uh, of what Jacob's family, the, the where, when they were living and what was going on at the time. This actually becomes a practice for all of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 25. If you want to fact check what I'm talking about, you can just flip a couple pages ahead. This is called Leveret marriage. And Judah and Tamar's specific scenario here, it, it's, it's kind of a gray area in this, in this law of Deuteronomy chapter 5. But this is what it develops into, is a law that God institutes for his people. Uh, and is, de- is developed through the, the law of Moses. So this, this is why Judah, as the father, says to his second son, this is what you need to do. You need to provide an offspring for your sister-in-law. Now, verse 9, Judah knows this offspring would not be his. So the way that this works is, is, is Judah, excuse me, Onan is supposed to provide an offspring for Tamar, and this offspring would actually, in everybody's eyes, be his older brother's son. Even though technically it's his, his seed that creates this baby, it, in the eyes of the family, this son belongs to the older brother. And this is a problem for Onan, because the way that family inheritance is passed down is from the firstborn, to the firstborn, to the firstborn, to the firstborn. To the firstborn. And Onan happens to be second. And so the reason he doesn't want to provide an offspring for his brother is he's hoping that if he can prevent Tamar from having a son, that all of his father's inheritance will become his. This is, this is what we call in 2023 selfishness. Seriously, he, he was being selfish. He thought that he could pretend to fulfill his obligation as a brother-in-law in hopes of receiving more of his father's inheritance. And so then instead of allowing his, this is what the Bible tells us, instead of allowing his semen to create an offspring for his brother, he would let it go on the ground. Now verse 10. God then sees Onan's actions, and, and takes Onan's life as well. Why is God doing this? Well, what is Onan up to? There's a couple, he's, he's developing a bit of a list here. So first, he fails to carry out this obligation for his brother uh, to, to provide an, an offspring. Second, we already talked about his selfishness, and by pursuing his selfishness, he actually um, is, is not caring for Tamar at all, because he just, he just sees her as a means to an end. But third, verse 9 doesn't just say when Onan slept with Tamar. It says whenever. So he's doing this multiple times, that he's pretending to provide an offspring for his brother, but then isn't. This is, this, this is, this is the wickedness that God sees In Onan. And if you read on in Deuteronomy 25, there is a way for a brother in law to to get out of this leveret marriage. And it's actually quite humorous, so I would encourage you to go and read it. Um, But there was a way for him to remove his obligation. And instead of taking that route, he decided to fulfill his desires in sleeping with this woman and then continued to fake. Um, fulfilling the obligation of a brother-in-law. And so when we, when we come to this, we need to say like, okay, God, this, is, this makes me very uncomfortable. Why are you taking these guys' lives? Why are they doing all this weird stuff? And this becomes an opportunity for us to humble ourselves to what God is doing in the world. Because my natural, when I come to a story like this, especially when I'm trying to read the Joseph story, I get into these details and I'm like, what on earth? And I just skip it. But just because I don't understand something does not mean that God is not at work. Just because that I don't understand God's reasons, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have any. And this passage becomes an opportunity for us to be humble and believe and trust that God is the ultimate judge. From what we read in the scripture, we can just see their actions. But God sees their heart. And so we need to trust that God is a loving and right and powerful judge. And my temptation is to disregard this because it's, it can be difficult to understand, but um, this becomes and needs to become an opportunity for us to trust that God is at work. Okay, verse 12. Judah's wife has now died, and he had promised his youngest son to Tamar as a husband, um, and In verse 11, it tells us he holds us back. He holds him back because he's afraid that his third son's gonna die, like the first two. It's ironic that he doesn't understand that his two other sons were just totally dishonoring God. Like he thinks Tamar is the problem here, and that's why he holds back his third son, which is totally not true. So Tamar, uh, Tamar comes up with this plan, and she tricks Judah into sleeping with her to provide an offspring for her family so that the family line can continue. This reveals something very interesting here because it reveals two things. First, about Judah. It reveals that this guy is just looking out for his wife. His wife died. And and now he's okay to just find somebody on the side of the road and, and sleep with them and fulfill whatever lustful desire is going on with him at the moment. And he gives no second thought about it. And for Tamar, it reveals to us that she has this, this intense desire to fulfill her family obligations, so much so that she will deceive her, her father-in-law into sleeping with her. And, and we read that she, she conceives through, um, through, uh, through Judah. She conceives twins. Can you imagine that? One is enough, seriously. Um, okay, so this brings up two important things to address here because going on, first is prostitution and second is, is incest. And these things are in our Bible. And just because something is in our Bible does not mean that God says, this is good for you to do. That, remember, the Bible is unfolding for us God's plan. And within God's plan is a lot of human decisions and brokenness and pain and sin. And that's what this story is demonstrating for us. That God is willing to partner with these selfish, broken, hurting people. And regardless of their actions, the truth is, they remind me of me. In verse 24, the truth comes out about all that's going on here. You guys, I could talk about this story for so long, but we do, not, we do not have time to talk about it all. If you want to talk more about it afterwards, I promise I would love to, but we need to speed through it. Verse 24. So it comes out that Tamar now has a baby, and she's not, she's not married. Everybody knows she's a widow, and she's waiting for Judah's youngest son to grow up to, to, to marry him. And Judah finds that, that she's pregnant, and so his double standard is revealed here, right? Right? He hears that she's pregnant through immorality, and he says, we should burn her. If he holds up that same standard, he should also be jumping in the fire and burning himself. Because a couple verses before, he, he was the one going off the side of the road and, and sleeping with what he thought was just a, an ordinary prostitute. So his double standard here of what is moral and right is totally, is totally revealed. And then we have what is arguably the strangest line in this story. So Tamar reveals the truth and says, Judah, this baby is actually from you. And Judah doesn't apologize. He doesn't say, I have sinned. He, he says, she is more righteous than I because I did not give her to my son, Shiloh. So is this is a strange line. And it's, as you read into it and study it, scholars seriously are... Not 100% in agreement on how to translate this line. But what they do all agree on is that Judah does not speak on God's behalf. They agree on the fact that Judah is not um, going to the, the sinful, deception, deceptive actions that Tamar has just distributed. So when he calls her righteous, he says she has done the right thing. Because her obligation in her family was to produce an offspring for that family. For God's redemptive plan to continue. And Jacob sees this as a right thing. The way she went about it? Totally not the right way to go about it. So this is where this, this, is where this line comes from. And this, this um, statement also confirms that what she sought was, was right... To produce an offspring. And Judah and his son Onan did not. They were selfish. And they were only concerned about what, what was in it for them. And so this is where we need to zoom out. And look at. like, Okay God why is this story here? Because it's a part of this greater story. So let's zoom out together. To chapter 38 and 39. Two stories that have the potential to be sexual scandals. Remember chapter 39? Joseph is being tempted day after day by Potiphar's wife. Then we have his older brother Judah who gives into his sexual lust and desire and temptation. And remember what Joseph says when he has the opportunity to sleep with Potiphar's wife? He says, how can I commit this sin against God? So for Joseph, being faithful in not giving in to temptation equals faithfulness to God. This story of Joseph demonstrates that Joseph is a willing and faithful partner with God and his plan. And we're meant to contrast the two brothers and how they deal with their, their sexual desires. And Judah is unfaithful in how he handles what's going on in his heart and in his mind and in his family. It's meant to contrast each other. And so as we see one brother not giving in to temptation, it's supposed to show us that Joseph is faithful to God. And we look at the other brother and it's supposed to demonstrate that he is unfaithful to God. That's why this story is right in the middle of the Joseph story. It's supposed to contrast Joseph and his brother Judah. Now remember, Joseph is not a picture of me and you. He's a picture of Jesus. As we read through this story, Joseph is a picture of Jesus and he is a faithful partner with God. And Judah is an unfaithful partner with God. And in the same way that Judah is unfaithful to God and his inability to to resist temptation, the same is true for us. When we sin and we break the law that God has set in place, when we when we when we actively live against God's desire and plan, it demonstrates that we are unfaithful to him. It's it's the truth. And the good news is that God provides a way out for us. Because in the same way that Joseph is faithful, Jesus is faithful. It's through Joseph's faithfulness that his brothers, including Judah, were saved from famine and preserved to continue God's story. In the same way that Joseph saved his brothers, Jesus saved you and I, who are unfaithful partners with God. And that's why this story is here, to reveal to us our brokenness and our need for a Savior. The point of Genesis 39 is to show us that Joseph is like Jesus and I am like Judah. This is why the story is here. You may not be doing the same actions as Judah and his sons, but I don't know about you, I was struggling with faithfulness, like the, or with, with selfishness, the moment I woke up this morning. Like, we don't need to be acting like Judah to still, we don't need to be doing the same actions as Judah to still be considered unfaithful to God. Jesus is the faithful partner that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Joseph, and me and you were all called to be, but we can never be in our own strength. And this is why this story is unfolding the gospel, because the gospel is the good news that you cannot be faithful to God in your own strength, and Jesus' faithfulness covers our unfaithfulness. Because Jesus' faithfulness and obedience to God to go to his death on the cross is what allows for us to receive right standing with God. It's what allows for us to be filled with his Holy Spirit so that we can, in fact, resist temptation when we find ourselves in moments like Judah. It is because of Jesus' faithfulness that God looks on us when we receive the love of Jesus and we repent of our sin and invite him to be our savior, God no longer looks at us and sees Judah. He looks at us and sees Jesus. And if we skip Genesis 38, we miss that. So so when you come to something in your Bible that makes you uncomfortable, confused, or just straight up weirded out, do not skip it. Talk to somebody about it. Ask God about it. Because this book, the whole thing, contains this story. And God doesn't desire for us to skip any of it because he wants to communicate his faithfulness and his love to us. Now, I need to tell you something something crazy. Is, as, we look at, as we look at this, right? God promises that through Jacob's family will come the Savior of the world. If any of us were writing this story, wouldn't we choose Joseph? The faithful, steadfast, peaceful, consistent partner with God? That's who I would choose. But Jesus comes from the line of Judah. The one who was unfaithful to God. The one who was deceived by his own daughter-in-law and had sex with her and had twins. The younger twin is the great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus, our Savior. This story demonstrates to us that God can use our brokenness and our mess and still bring about his redemptive plan, which is the payment and sacrifice of Jesus and his ultimate new creation. This is good news, you guys. This, this uncomfortable story is meant, it, it, it brings the opportunity for us to come closer to God or further from Him. And so I would encourage you to let your discomfort in this moment push you closer to God. Because the, when, when we give our lives to Jesus, Scripture tells us that we, we die with Him. The part of us that's like Judah is crucified with Jesus on the cross. So then, when we receive his death, that means we also receive his resurrection. So the part of us that like, was like Judah stays dead. And the part of us then that is in Christ, we are like Jesus. So when God looks at us, no longer are we like Judah. But we are like Jesus. Not by our own strength or our own effort or our own right choices. But through the transforming power of God's spirit at work in us. So you won't be able to be like Jesus without his spirit alive and at work in you. And so this morning, then, how do we, like, how do we respond to this story? Well, I believe that through Judah's story, God is giving us an invitation. He's giving us an invitation to say, I am like Judah. And I am in need of a Savior. And so you, you might be here today and you have been a, a faithful follower of Jesus for your whole life. And if that's the case, that's incredible. And I'm sure there's moments where you maybe look and sound and feel like Judah. And even when we are made new in Christ, we still have these battles of temptation and sin and brokenness. This is a reality of living in our world that is not yet at this new creation point. And so our revelation of our own brokenness becomes an opportunity for us to come back to God humbly and say, God, I have sinned. I am, I am like Judah sometimes. And I need your forgiveness. And I need you to remind me of your grace and your Spirit's power at work within me. And so for some of us this morning, a response to this can be to bring something back to God and say, God, I confess, this is an area of brokenness in my life, and I need your grace and your forgiveness and your love, and I need the power of your Spirit to continue to walk with me. And so for some of us, that will be our response. And for some others, perhaps you do not have a relationship with God. You, you read this story and you hear about the forgiveness and re- redemption and, and grace that's possible for you, and the invitation for you today is to say, I am like Judah and I need a savior. I need to surrender this selfish and broken, sinful part of me and give it back to God. And say, God, will you forgive me? Will you, will you take me from being like Judah and make me like Jesus? And so if you have never given your life to Jesus and said, I need forgiveness for my sin. I need to receive your grace in your new life. Then today is an invitation for you to do that. So as we finish our time together today, we're going to finish with a little bit of silence. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give all of us the opportunity to just reflect and say, God, where do I need your grace in my life? What do I need to, to, to repent from? What do I need to confess? Who maybe do I need to find and, and reconcile with? And in this moment of silence, God, trust that God will guide you. Because he isn't, he isn't looking to, to, to smash you for your mistakes. He's looking to, for you to admit them so that he can then work with you. By the power of his spirit to transform you from being like Judah to like Jesus. And in this moment, if you have never received Jesus before, then this this is your opportunity to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I confess my sin and I give you my life. And that opportunity is available for you today. So I'm going to pray. And as I do, we're going to just be silent for 20 or 30 seconds and allow, allow God to speak with us. Father, this morning, we, we humble ourselves before you and before your word, and we acknowledge that in our own strength, we are like Judah. We can be sinful, and, and, and we, in our own strength, are, are, are broken. And God, we acknowledge that, and we acknowledge our need for you. And so in this moment, we invite you to reveal to us the areas that we need to repent from and confess and come back to you that we might receive your forgiveness and continue to walk in your grace and God for for those who want to commit their life to you would you continue to draw them close continue to reveal your love and the saving power of your son Jesus and that they might receive your grace and your salvation and so father we invite you to speak to us now in this moment Jesus, we are thankful for you. We are thankful for your power. We are thankful for your forgiveness and your grace and for your love. And it is that power of your spirit that we choose to walk from here forward today. Knowing that because of you and because of your sacrifice and because of your love, we are made right in the sight of God. That we are no longer like Judah, we are like Jesus. And so we ask you to continue to reveal your grace and your truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to acknowledge your need for Jesus for the first time, and maybe, maybe you were praying in that moment or maybe you're like, I feel like that's something I need to do and I have no idea what to do about it, then, then I would encourage you to, to come up to the front <laughs> And, and come and talk to one of, our, one of our other pastoral team members or myself. Or if you came with somebody who's a follower of Jesus, you should actually talk to them. Because they probably know Jesus quite well too. Mm-hmm. So that is my encouragement for you this morning. Let us remember that because of the grace of God, we are no longer like Judah, but we are like Jesus. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.